Poem in Praise of Menstruation by Lucille Clifton If there is a river more beautiful than this, bright as the blood-red edge of the moon, if there is a river more faithful than this, returning each month to the same delta, if there is a river braver than this, coming and coming in a surge of passion, of pain, if there is a river more ancient than this, daughter of Eve, mother of Cain and Abel, if there is in the universe such a river, if there is somewhere water more powerful than this wild water, pray that it flows also through animals, beautiful and faithful and ancient and female and brave. Welcome to Femacab, a podcast about life's mysteries, oddities, and of course, the macabre. Hosted by Stephanie Malosh and Aaron Vance. Myths and legends about menstruation and menstruating women abound throughout history and across cultures. Ideologies differ, but one main outlook remains the same. Menstruation is a curse, a menace, an impurity. Get the picture? Periods are bad, period. Or are they? While doing some research for today's episode, I found listicle after listicle of myths surrounding periods. I wanted to take a look at a few of them with you, Erin, to try to see if you and I could debunk some of them, or maybe find some more empowering ones. But first, what are some of the old wives' tales or folklore about periods that you've heard growing up? The one that sticks out to me the most is from a magazine. I think it was probably like Seventeen or Cosmo that I read when I was a super young teenager. And it said that if you have a bath wall on your period, you will bleed out and die. What? <laughs> and I mean, that just makes no sense whatsoever. And if you ask anyone who knows me, I love baths. Like, in this quarantine, I've been bathing every day. <laughs> so... I figured out pretty quickly that that was a blatant lie because by the time I'd read this, I'd had baths when I was on my period and I was clearly still alive, but there were other myths and associations with periods that followed me throughout my early teenage and preteen years. Mm. I got my period when I was 11, so I was pretty young compared to most people, and I was the oldest child in my family, and all of my first cousins were either younger or boys, so unless I spoke with my mom or grandma about it, I didn't really have anyone to talk to. To my knowledge, none of my friends had had theirs, and I was mortified to talk to anyone or ask any questions. I also went to Catholic school, and we didn't have sex ed. We had what was called chastity education. Oh, Lord. And so (laughs) by the time I was 11 years old, periods had been so sexualized and not explained very well that there was a solid period of time when I was in grade 5 that I assumed that because... I had my period and was thus now a woman, and I also had frequent stomach aches. I just, like, thought that I was magically pregnant (laughs) and that God would smite me. So I, like, freaked out about this for months. And, I mean, it just turned out I was an incredibly anxious kid with some IBS. But, you know. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) 11-year-old me was like, holy shit, Virgin Mary over here. Don't know what to do. Oh, man. That's whack um but I heard a lot of the same like old wives tales as well from everyone in my life like all the women in my life just talked about like random things like 
oh, don't go swimming. You'll be attacked by sharks. Or like, don't go in the forest. You'll be attacked by bears. Like, what? No, that doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, those are two that I find so crazy. Because <laughs> like we were, po- we were talking about this earlier. The shark one was so ingrained. I live in a landlocked province. There are not sharks in Alberta. Furthermore, yeah. I don't like swimming in lakes or rivers very much because <laughs> I find it kind of gross. But I would legitimately get scared at like the public swimming pool that if I had my period and I had a tampon in that a shark would somehow appear and eat me because I had my period in a public swimming pool in a landlocked province. That just made me think of one of the biggest fears I had as a kid um, or when I first started having my period is that I couldn't go swimming when I was on my period because my tampon would absorb the water and expand inside of me so much that it would like get stuck or something. And like, I don't know if somebody actually told me that or if I just thought it because I didn't have any like information <laughs> about how tampons and stuff worked, but like that stayed with me for a long time. And I finally went swimming with a tampon in like last year for the first time. <laughs> I think that one's really common because I had my period earlier this week. And I was having a bath with a tampon and my boyfriend was like, is that a smart idea? (laughs) And I was like, yeah. And like the way he explained it and like the way he thought it worked makes total sense. And like there's a reason we believe that for so long because if you're not thinking super critically or you're not told about it, it makes absolute sense that something that absorbs blood from you is going to absorb water from outside. Exactly. But I mean like our our vagina flaps kind of close shut so yeah. that prevents a little bit of self-sealing that. self-cleaning yeah just an oven situation <laughs> but yeah so growing up like I heard misinformation from people in my family my teachers other girls at school who'd heard them from their moms or older sisters and as much like woman to woman talk there is about menstruation all that there's still so much misinformation being spread because it's still for so many people such a taboo subject so nobody wants to talk about it I was lucky I guess in my house it wasn't that much of a taboo subject like I mostly just talked to only my mom about it because my brother who's five years younger than me always thought it was gross but my dad was okay with having to go out and buying me pads if my mom wasn't around but one of the big things that I remember is that I was scared of starting my period, but I also couldn't wait to get it because all of the girls who had started to get their periods seemed really cool and mysterious. And I feel like that's like an image kind of portrayed in media as well that we see a lot in movies. But it's that like sexualization that you talked about earlier. It's absolutely sexualization. And considering you can get your period as young as seven years old, sexualization is even more horrifying. And you mentioned the word mysterious. And I think that that's a really interesting word to use because it is mysterious to people who aren't experiencing a period and because it's not talked about. So we have mysterious sexualization, as well as the sheer like horror and taboo associated with menstrual blood it's really interesting and really I mean it's it's really sad it's not something we can avoid yeah it's really interesting that you grew up thinking oh the girls who have their periods already are so cool because what frightened me the most about my period was just how grown up it seemed I played with Barbies and Polly Pockets until I was 13 and I did not want to grow up so when I got my period at 11 years old I was nothing but scared. Mm. I bought into that idea that it made you mature, that suddenly your body was sexualized and ready to have babies, 
and I was so scared. My body was changing so fast. I wore yeah. a sweater tied around my waist constantly because the shape of my body was changing and also because I was so scared that I would get a surprise period and bleed through my pants. So there was so much internalized shame surrounding my period. If a girl <laughs> at school acted too mature and had a boyfriend when we were in grade six or wore a revealing top or tight jeans, the other girls gossiped relentlessly behind her back that she probably had her period. And if girls wanted to be mm -hmm. super mean and slut-shamey, then they could say that she had probably used tampons. Yeah. When I witnessed all of this, I was having my period and trying to hide my, like, pubescent body. I was clinging to my Barbies and my Nancy Drew books, and I just didn't want anybody to know that I was that horrible girl who had her period and used tampons in grade 5 and grade 6. <laughs> of course. Things changed a little bit when my friends started to get, to get their periods more frequently, like, more than one of us had them in the summer between grade six and seven, much of the stigma fell away and the focus became hiding your period from boys instead of just from other girls. And one of the most popular period gimmicks that I still remember was crinkle-free packaging so no one would hear you opening a tampon or pad in the bathroom at school. <laughs> I remember that being such like a big... <laughs> oh, it was revolutionary. Like, I don't want anybody to know that I have my period. <laughs> It seems so cool until you're like, why am I worried that other people yeah. are going to know I have my period? Exactly. Nowadays, I just tear that shit up and I'm like, I don't care who knows who no. I have my period. You got a problem? <laughs> but, Go to a different yeah. bathroom. <laughs> yeah. I remember feeling like I was the bomb.com when I got my first period. Like total <laughs> opposite of how you felt. I... Like, I remember it so vividly because I had just finished reading Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which also just happens to have, like, a plot line about, you know, girls getting their periods for the first time and dealing with puberty and stuff like that. And the following week, I started my period, and I was like, oh, it's my happening. God. This is witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, my goodness. And I was so excited, and I was, I was honestly kind of... I mean, it sucked because I felt like absolute shit. Um, I had horrible cramps and I felt nauseous. I was also just so excited. I couldn't wait to go to school and tell people. And I was in seventh grade, okay? Like, it's not even, like, looking back on it now, like, it's not even that big of a deal because in seventh <laughs> grade, most girls have usually started their periods by then or they're about to start it. But, like, I just remember going to school on Monday and I went to drama mm -hmm. club after school and started talking to a couple of girls and just casually dropped in the fact that I had finally got my first period um and they really didn't seem that impressed and I was like oh yeah you know like having your period is so hard because you're just <laughs> nauseous all the time and it it hurts and they all just like looked really uncomfortable <laughs> about me talking about it and like thinking on thinking back on all that now <laughs> I'm realizing that the reason why it seemed like such a mystery in the first place and why it seemed cool is because nobody actually really talked about periods. So all the period talk that we heard was superficial and flowery, just like all the commercials mm -hmm. like of girls running around in fields and like, ah, oh, I can finally do gymnastics. It was more so of like, oh, you're a grown up now as well, which is, as we said earlier, so problematic. It's so gross. Ugh. Yeah. And I think I think it's very telling that when you see tampon commercials or there's references to tampons on TV, you don't actually see a pad or a tampon in relation to women's bodies. But on the other hand, 
nobody has any problem with showing like guys who have just been in fights or got knocked in the face in rugby or hockey. Nobody has a problem with showing them with tampons <laughs> stuck up their nose. So by grade seven, I'd figured out how periods worked, more or less. I no longer <laughs> thought that I was going to miraculously get pregnant and then smited by God, which is good. actually kind of hilarious because I did not grow up in a religious family. I just, ha- like, my dad's an atheist, but I just happened to go to ha- Catholic school because we're from a small town. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all the fear and shame was superseded by incredibly debilitating cramps and PMS. I remember lying on the floor mm. of the gymnasium during gym class in so much pain that I was unable to move. At this oh, point, instead of driving us apart and fueling gossip, our periods became a place of solidarity for my girlfriends and I. We happily shared mm. tampons and Tylenol, we advocated for each other to our male gym teachers, and we let each other cry out of frustration, pain, or sheer teenage angst made ten times worse by PMS. In junior high, mm. we felt less shame. But suddenly, I wasn't growing up too fast. I wasn't growing up fast enough. So instead mm. of hiding my period, I was hiding my toys in my books. I was hiding my perfect scores on spelling tests instead of copies of Cosmo I'd found in my mom's closet. So <laughs> there's this really interesting kind of shift that happens when you're a young woman yeah. going through period where you're either you're, you're acting too young or you're too old. Like there's no proper way to act you're never acting your age everyone's always telling you that you're being immature or too mature and it's it's so confusing when you're that age I agree because it took me a really long time to figure out my period um it's always been heavy always irregular and I've always been deathly afraid of bleeding through anything and like the weird thing is is that I didn't start using tampons until I was in university because for some reason I guess my mom had always just bought me pads, which is totally fine, and I swear by them. But I remember in high school being judged for only using pads. My friends would be like, hey, Steph, do you have a tampon? And I'd be like, no, I, I have a pad, though. And they'd be like, oh, gross. Or like, you know, just make a face. And I always felt weird for being one that used pads all the time, which is like, there's nothing wrong with using pads. I remember having friends that used pads and friends that used tampons. And there was like kind of this debate where it's like, for some reason, using a pad isn't as, like, legit or yeah. cool. But at the same time, there's that horrible myth that is repeated over and over again that if you use a super tampon or even just, like, a tampon for anything but light flow, that you can lose your virginity to a tampon, which, of course, virginity <sighs> is a social construct yeah. that doesn't exist in the first place. Yeah. But the idea that it's shameful to break your hymen with a tampon Oh, that, that yeah. makes me so mad. Or just shameful <laughs> to be using a tampon in the first place. It's ridiculous. A lot of times, like, using tampons is super sexualized, and it's like, you shouldn't use a tampon until you're a grown-up. Fuck no. Yeah, like, You're what? bleeding out of your vagina. Use whatever you want. Exactly. Like that girl said in Mean Girls, that one character, it's not my fault I have a heavy flow and a wide-set vagina. Like, honestly, though. <laughs> so true and like that's the point that I feel like I'm trying to get across in this is that all these myths and negative social constructs surrounding periods are just so harmful to women in general and I mean we haven't discussed it at length but of course like women aren't the only people who get periods Mm -hmm. um non-binary people 
some men get them. Yeah. And I mean, considering <laughs> considering I barely got told what a period was when I was like in sex ed as a kid or chastity ed, yeah. I can't imagine like it was so hard for me as a cisgender woman to figure out what was happening with my body and understand my period. So to be somebody in a different situation than that and have the same spotty, awful, shame, shame-inducing education that mm-hmm. I had, I can't imagine how hard that would be. It's tough for anybody going through it. And, you know, like for me, I didn't really experience a place where I felt comfortable about talking those types of things until I met my friends from university mm-hmm. because it was just such like a comforting, open group of people who didn't judge me for anything. It was one of the first times that I was able to openly talk about my period or like my sexuality and my experiences and things like that. And it just felt so empowering to be in a group of people who were able to help me figure stuff out when I was going through some really hard times with my period. Like in my fourth year of university, for some reason, my period lasted for six months straight. What really angers me is that women aren't trusted to know about our own bodies so even my female doctor didn't want to believe me when I was trying to explain to her my problems like she was like oh well what are you doing differently now and I'm like I'm not doing anything differently (laughs) (laughs) like I don't know my period has just been lasting for six months yeah I've been really really lucky with having some absolutely phenomenal Mm. healthcare providers in my life when I was in my early 20s, like, I'd started on the Depo-Provera shot for birth control, which is basically every three months you get a shot straight into your muscle of hormones. And that did not work for mm. me. And then I went on, like, five different birth control pills, finally found one that I loved, and then I started getting migraines, so I couldn't take a birth control pill anymore oh. because you have an increased risk of blood clots if you have migraines while you're on the birth control pill. So... Even though, like, my moods had leveled out, I didn't get a very long or heavy period, and the PMS was a lot easier to manage, I had to come up with something else. So my doctor, before he retired, he and a resident inserted my first Mirena IUD. Oh my god, what a life-changing experience. At first it was really hard because it causes cramping in a lot of people. Yeah, and it takes a while to, like, settle in, I guess is how I've heard it being described. Yeah, it's a foreign object. Yeah, it's a foreign object just kind of floating around in your body. A UFO. So, of course, some might say. (laughs) Not only is it one of the most effective forms of birth control, like, I've seen some statistics that put it, like, it's a similar effectiveness to getting your tubes tied. For a lot of people, it makes periods lighter or disappear completely. Wow. And it makes PMS more tolerable. So, I'm... So lucky to be one of the people who have an incredibly light period with the IUD. Sometimes it is heavier, of course, and I still get cramps sometimes, but it's increased my quality of life so much, and I honestly can't imagine life without it. Of course, there's no such thing as one-size-fits-all birth control, but for any listeners who are like, my period is out of control, or I want a reliable form of birth control that also helps with some of these symptoms... I highly recommend talking to your doctor about a hormonal IUD, especially if your period is heavy, long, or painful. There's this really common misconception that unless you've given birth, you can't get one, and that is totally false. Although my menstrual experience is way more positive now than it has ever been, I don't want to discount 
the fact that so, so many people with periods around mm-hmm. the world still have a super difficult time. There's so many people who have limited access to period products or birth control. And no matter what, we still deal with the idea every single day that one, periods are gross and dirty. And two, that if we use tampons or pads or my doll or whatever we need to use to get through our periods safely and happily that those are luxury items yep. and we don't deserve them unless Ugh. we can afford them yeah write to your mlas your senators your representatives whoever let's try and get it so that everybody who has a period gets those tampons and pads for free or at least without tax yes moving on from that little rant yeah to get <laughs> to get back on track. <laughs> we could clearly talk about this all oh, day. Oh, we could. Steph is going to walk us through some of the history of menstrual taboos and some of the folklore. Yes. Thank you, Erin. Uh, so the ancient Greek natural philosopher Pliny the Elder is kind of to blame for all the bogus folklore surrounding menstruation that we still see today. For example, he believed that, now listen to this, it's a bit of a long one. It would be indeed a difficult matter to find anything which is productive <laughs> of more marvelous effects than the menstrual discharge. So that sounds like pretty positive to start off with. That makes us sound like magical creatures, which we are, to be fair. And then he says this. On the approach of a woman in this state, must will become sour. Seeds which are touched by her become sterile. Grafts wither away. Garden plants are parched up and the fruit will fall from the tree beneath which she sits. Her very look, even, will dim the brightness of mirrors, blunt the edge of steel, and take away the polish from ivory. A swarm of bees, if looked upon by her, will die immediately. Jesus! I am... I'm starting to crack up reading this because it's honestly ridiculous. Brass and iron will instantly become rusty and emit an offensive odor, while dogs, which may have tasted of the matter so discharged, are seized with madness and their bite is venomous and incurable. Like what? (laughs) I mean, I haven't personally tried mixing my period (laughs) blood with wine or fruit or slathered it onto ivory or beehives or bronze or fed it to dogs, but some of these beliefs sound absolutely ridiculous i have firsthand experience that it will not drive dogs crazy because i once had a dog who would like (laughs) seek out tampons and pads from the garbage and eat them she was no weirder of a dog after she'd eaten pads and tampons (laughs) than she was before although she was a weird dog to begin with i'll give her that (laughs) i think the main takeaway from that um excerpt uh is that pliny probably never actually met a woman in his entire life just leaving that there (laughs) i've never been attacked by bees while on my period i mean i was attacked by bees once but that was before i even started getting my period so what about (laughs) that plenty (laughs) all right so the main reason behind why Pliny and so many other people believed menstrual blood would be able to do all these crazy things is due to the belief that it is considered impure i mean Like I said earlier, we now know that menstrual blood uh, can transmit bacteria, illnesses, and disease, but it's not in itself inherently impure, nor does it inherently make that person impure or dirty. But the association with impurity is derived from Judeo-Christian religious beliefs, as well as a lot of other religious beliefs. The whole idea stems from the fall of Eve and women 
after her being cursed with this perpetual punishment for her sins. And we unfortunately see this idea of guilt, sin, and impurity across many religions and cultures as well. It's even in the Vedas, a Hindu scripture, that when the god Indras killed the demon Vritra, he committed one of the greatest sins because Vritra was a Brahmin, which is a member of a case that oversaw those in charge of sacred teaching and text. And so killing one of those people was one of the absolute worst things you could do. But Indras managed to free himself from this sin by splitting it up and giving it to the trees, the water, fire, and you guessed it, women. So it is said that uh, a woman's menstrual flow is her burden for carrying Indras's guilt for killing Vritra. Uh, personally, I think a lot of these myths were just a way of shaming women and from preventing them from achieving any power or roles outside the home. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times, like, patriarchal societies will use menstruation as the factor that truly separates men and women, even more so than, like, the ability to give birth, because menstrual blood is a visceral, and it's seen as, like, so shameful that that is the excuse that a lot of like societies use to delegate women to the sphere of the home and inside of the house. Exactly. And not to mention, there's also just a lot of strange superstitions based on the same, same idea of ruining things. Um, like I mentioned earlier with Pliny, which in turn just spreads a lot of fear of menstruation itself because it's dis- depicted as this mysterious and scary thing. I think that's really interesting because... Like, you see so many, and if you're looking at the folklore of menstruation, which there's not a lot collected about because, no, honestly, in folklore, most of the collectors were men, so they wouldn't have asked about this sort of thing. But <laughs> exactly, folklore collected about menstruation, so much of it involves the menstruating woman ruining things by touching them or being around them. So if they're turning, like, they're, for instance, a menstruating woman isn't allowed to turn butter or to yeah. milk a cow. And interestingly, a lot of those same ideas are put onto the function of a witch or a fairy in folklore. So that really makes me want to look more into the connection between the witch or the fairy with the menstruating woman because in incidents, in types of folklore where we don't discuss menstruation, we still have female figures whose presence Mm -hmm. will turn the butter it will um curdle the milk or make the butter unusable so i think that's really interesting and the connection between menstruating woman and witch is particularly poignant exactly and i'd love it if this podcast ends up inspiring you or someone else to do more research about this because it was so difficult to find information for this segment because there's so little about any of it. Yeah, I'm honestly thinking of switching my thesis topic to menstruation and folklore instead of bees and folklore. Uh, do it. <laughs> All right, so we've already mentioned a few really common superstitions and uh, myths surrounding periods, um, especially ones that we grew up hearing about in the, you know, in the 90s and the noughties. But I wanted to quickly list a few more examples of ridiculous things that are still believed to this day. So for example, having sex with a woman while she's menstruating will cause the man ill health or will cause him to lose his intellect. Like what? 
<laughs> oh my god. Another one is that menstruating women are unclean and must be separated from society for the duration of her period and for some cultures up to another week after she's finished menstruating. Some people get their periods for like three weeks. So then effectively you would always be separated. Exactly. And that's why like for me as a teacher, education is like is something that I'm so extremely passionate about and access to education in the first place is something that I'm very passionate about. So to hear that so many women, they're forced out of school because they're on their period and they don't have access to tampons, pads, or whatever might help them manage their menstruations, or because they're being forced out due to cultural beliefs that they are dirty or impure because they're on their period, it drives me nuts. Absolutely. Like I used to get cramps that were debilitating and I could easily miss a couple of days of school for every period. Yeah, same. But you... You just don't see schools accommodating students who are off because of their period. It's so not talked about and not discussed. No. In turn, you just have people who have their periods missing school and exactly. missing out on education opportunities in all different cultures, not not just cultures where there is such a heavy stigma around periods and not in just areas where access to period products is limited. This is like a worldwide issues that affects so many people and it of course affects women and people with periods in poverty disproportionately absolutely it's a tragedy and I think it's something we need to work on addressing I could honestly keep going but there are just so many negative myths that continue to be perpetuated and continue to limit women for achieving their true potential for the silliest of reasons on a bit of a, 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 a more fun note I guess on a bit of a lighter note, I got to go to the Vagina Museum finally. It's in Camden Town or in Camden Market in London. And I was honestly surprised because it was nothing like what I was expecting it to be. I think I thought it was going to be more of like an art exhibit or something like that, but it turned out to be more of an educational center. And it was dedicated to myth-busting common misinformation about vaginas and periods and sex. And I thought that was really cool. And I think also the fact that I actually learned quite a lot of stuff while I was there just says a lot about like how flawed our sex ed is or how how little or poorly it is talked about or taught in schools yeah and just for context both of us are constantly learning things about even our own bodies and periods and we're in our late 20s (laughs) there are just so many common myths about periods for example a typical period will only last three days and it's on a 28 day cycle like that's such bullshit because I don't think anybody that I've ever spoken to has had a perfect period like that the fact that that's what we're taught like I remember very clearly learning about that in school my teacher reading out of the textbook periods should be lasting three days and last on a 28 day cycle that isn't the case for the vast majority of women and so for my entire life I just thought I was a freak for having a really heavy flow that would last over a week and it turns out it actually normal We need to normalize periods so badly because we need better menstrual products. Like we need things that aren't harmful for our bodies. We need things that aren't harmful to the environment. And we also just need people to stop shaming each other about it all. Like who cares if I stain my pants? I have a visceral memory of a girl in seventh or eighth grade getting her period in class 
And when she stood up to go to the bathroom, it was on her pants and she didn't know. And people talked about that until after high school graduation. Like, oh my God, how embarrassing for her. I can't believe that happened. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's definitely just bled through so many of my pants in school, it happens. And people don't talk about how how that just actually just happens all the time. When I was like 12 or 13, (sighs) I destroyed a hotel bed in London with my period. Oh, no. It was bad. (sighs) My mom woke me up. She was like, we need to clean this. It was everywhere. White sheets are a curse upon humanity. Not only did I have my period in this horrifically messy public way, because I mean, I was sleeping on a fold-out couch in a tiny hotel room in London with my whole family. Like every time I went to a sleepover, like even as an adult, when I sleep over at someone else's house and I have my period, I do not sleep. I don't sleep well that night because I'm terrified that I'm going to bleed onto their bed sheets. One big game changer, though, in my life has been my switch to using a diva cup. I'm going to tell you about it because it is amazing. It has changed my life. I'm a teacher, so I don't always get to use the bathroom when I want to use the bathroom. And so being able to use a diva cup and having the leniency of just having it for 12 hours without needing to like change it or like dump it out or like whatever, like I get a full 12 hours out of, of use out of it. So I don't need to change it until I'm back home at the end of the day if I need to, which is awesome. Anyone who's ever talked to me about... We're not sponsored by IUDs or menstrual cups, but we want to be because <laughs> we love them. Erin, you and I are truly lucky to have access to pads, tampons, and diva cups, and IUDs, and all these things that we've mentioned throughout this episode. But it's also important to keep remembering that so many people don't have access to these things, including birth control and mm-hmm. abortion clinics and things like that. And it, these are basic human rights that everyone should have access to. Absolutely. And people aren't getting it. Like I mentioned earlier, young girls are losing out on education because they don't have the products to help them manage their menstruation or they're being forced out because of societal rules or like ugh, there's just so many injustices in the world around women's health. Um, so I think that's going to be enough of my feminist ranting for for now is there ever (laughs) enough feminist ranting no because i'm actually about to keep on going (laughs) (laughs) but but it's going to be on a more positive note you know like that was all very like destroy the patriarchy this is well i mean i guess this is still uh you know destroy we can destroy the patriarchy and still have fun okay (laughs) exactly that's what i'm gonna do now because folklore can be really awesome and empowering and so i wanted to finish the episode with a bit of a positive with some positive period myths is what i'm calling it um so while there weren't actually very many available to choose from (laughs) i wonder why So I'll just share the three, yes, three that I was able to find online, and maybe that will inspire someone out there to find more, or maybe it'll inspire people to just write new ones. Let's just come up with our own. (laughs) All right, so the first one is that in Norse mythology, it is said that the menstrual blood of giantesses would bestow enlightenment and eternal life to anyone who bathed in it. And who, may you ask, famously bathed in this river? None other than the god of thunder himself, Thor. I'm just saying that Marvel left out a pretty awesome and integral part to his origin story. I'm into it. 
But it wasn't just the Norse who depended on menstrual blood. In Greek mythology, uh, honestly, I don't know how Pliny missed all of this, but apparently the gods often relied on the powers (laughs) and gifts that Hera's menstrual blood, or supernatural red wine, as they apparently called it, would bestow upon them. Oh my god, I love it. And Supernatural red wine is the title of my new album. (laughs) Look for it on SoundCloud. (laughs) A hot mixtape dropping soon. So in Cherokee history and folklore, um, menstrual blood could be used for all sorts of things, including fighting off evil. And it's been demonstrated yes. in the story of Stoneclad, who is a cannibalistic monster. Um He was said to be unbeatable because of his stone skin. His one weakness, though, was menstruating women. He was brought down not by one, not by two, not by three, but seven menstruating women who stood in his way, just free-flowing until the sight of their blood just sucked the life right out of him and he, like, fell to his knees and basically died, (laughs) I think. (laughs) So... Maybe instead of continuing to perpetuate fear and shame through horrible sexist myths, we can instead turn this around into something more positive and empowering. So let's make our daughters excited to get their periods, not because they're finally becoming women, but because bleeding from your vagina every month for your life is fucking badass. In conclusion... Every woman deserves access to proper menstrual and sexual health education and deserves to have access to whichever products she feels most comfortable using to maintain menstrual health. As usual, a lot of research and reading goes into making sure our episodes are as factually accurate as possible. Now, we're not gynecologists, but we have tried our best to get as much accurate information to you about periods as possible. If you're interested in learning about anything we discussed today in today's episode, You can find all of our sources linked in the description box. And just as a disclaimer, I know we've used a lot of binary language in this episode. Um, We are both cis women, but we do want to acknowledge that not just women get periods. And we really don't want to erase the experiences of anybody who gets a period and does not identify as a woman. Absolutely. Also, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook. And if you're into social media, you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Femmacabre.